Good morning to you. Appreciate so much our brother Chris Hood. He read a little while ago before Bible class a passage from Acts chapter 2, verses 36 to 47. We're going to focus on verse 47 primarily this morning. The Lord added to His church. The Lord added to His church. Before we get to that, I want to mention a very familiar statement to you that Jesus made as He died on the cross, John 19, 30 and 31, when He said, It is finished. It is finished. And we know that Jesus was referring to the great work that He did while on this earth and the very necessary work that He did in suffering in our behalf, being crucified on the cross in our behalf, being buried and raised again from the dead. And he said, it is finished. But we also need to understand that Jesus now has some unfinished work. There is the unfinished work of Jesus. For example, in Romans 8.34, Jesus is referred to as our intercessor. As we pray, He makes intercession for us. Romans 8.34, He's our intercessor. In 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5, we read that Jesus is our mediator. He's our mediator. He gave Himself for us and He is our mediator between us and God. In 1 John chapter 2, 1 and 2, we read that Jesus is our advocate. He pleads our case before God. He is our advocate. In Matthew chapter 20 and verse 20, Matthew chapter 28 and verse 20, I should say, Matthew 28 and verse 20, Jesus promises to be with us. He is our constant companion. He's our constant companion. In Psalm 23, we read that though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the Lord is with us. His rod and His staff, they comfort us. And so the Lord is our constant companion even in death. Even in death. Jesus upholds the, the whole universe with the word of His power, according to Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. Jesus continues to provide, provide our daily needs, Matthew 6, 33. Jesus has a lot of unfinished work, and we're going to be talking about one of those this morning, and that is, Jesus, the Lord, adds to the church. He adds to the church. We have three categories we're thinking about in our study this morning. The first category will be simply the Lord. The second category will be the church. And the third category will be salvation. Here we go. Notice in Acts 2 and 47, the Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. First category, the Lord. To learn more about Lord, let your eyes go back to Acts 2 and 36 as, as Peter makes a summary of his sermon on that day. He said, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that this Jesus whom you crucified, God has made both Lord and Christ. Let's focus on that verse for just a minute. Notice Peter said, You can know assuredly. This means without doubt. Without doubt. Without fear of contradiction. You can know this because of what has been revealed. Because we have the New Testament Scriptures, we can know these things assuredly. For example, because we have the New Testament, 
we can know that Jesus is our Savior. That's what the word Jesus means. This Jesus whom you crucified, this Jesus is our Savior. In Matthew 1, 21, it was said that you shall call his name Jesus, for it is he who will save his people from their sins. Because we have the scriptures, we can know that Jesus is our Savior. Because we have the scriptures, we can know that Jesus was crucified in our behalf. He who knew no sin became sin for us, 2 Corinthians 5 and 21. Because we have the scriptures, because we have the New Testament, we can know that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. That phrase is very popular in the preaching and teaching of the New Testament. For example, in Romans 10 in verse 9, we are to confess with our mouths, with our mouths that Jesus is Lord. Romans 10 verse 9. 1 Peter 3.15, Peter says, Sanctify in your hearts Jesus as Lord and be ready to, always to give an answer to every man who asks you concerning the reason of the hope that is in you. And so we're to sanctify Jesus in our hearts as, as Lord. Romans 14, notice this with me, beginning in verse 7. Romans 14 and verse 7, Paul says, No man lives to himself and no one dies to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or we die, we are the Lord's. And then he said, for this end, for this purpose, Christ both died and rose again so that he may be Lord of the living and the dead. Jesus is Lord. Notice how Paul described it. I love this verse. You love this verse, 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 5. 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 5. Where Paul says, we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and we as his servants for your sake. Folks, that, that is what we're all about. We preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus as our Lord, and we as servants for, yours, for your sake. For your sake. We remember what Paul says also in Philippians chapter 2. Uh, verses uh, 10 and 11 where he says, God, uh, Therefore God has also highly exalted Jesus and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, whether it's on earth or in heaven, that every knee should bow, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The Lord. The Lord added to the church. Notice here in Acts 2.36 what Peter says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that this Jesus whom you crucified, God, God has made both Lord and Christ. Now Christ is interesting too. The idea of Christ. The word name Christ means anointed one. Jesus is the anointed one that was prophesied to come uh, to the earth He's the anointed one that was prophesied to come in the Old Testament scriptures. In the Old Testament, there were three offices that were anointed. There was the office of prophet, the office of priest, the office of king. Jesus is all three of those. And if you want to look at one passage that reveals all three of these, you can look in your Bibles to Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. You'll see there in verse 2 that God now speaks through His Son. So Jesus is the prophet because God speaks through His Son. 
In Hebrews 1 and verse 3, you'll see that Jesus made purification for sin. So Jesus is our priest. And then you'll read right after that in Hebrews 1 3, that Jesus sat down when he, has, when he rose from the dead. He was on the earth for 40 days. And then he ascended up on high. Jesus sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. That makes him our king. He is prophet, he is priest, and he is king. You see, there's only one Lord. And that is our Lord Jesus. I'm so grateful that we were able to sing the songs we just were singing together. First, I surrender all. I surrender all. And then secondly, Jesus is Lord. You see, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6 and um, about verse 24, He says, No man can serve two masters, for either he will love the one and hate the other, or hold to the one and forget the other. Jesus has to be our Lord. Now, only the Lord can add to the church. Only the Lord can add to the church. Only the Lord can set the conditions of being part of the church. Only the Lord knows the hearts of people who are desiring salvation so that He can add them to the church. Only the Lord can do this. Only the Lord can be the ultimate guide of the church. The Lord adds to the church. Now, we don't We don't make payment in order to be part of the church. That doesn't make make us part of the church. We don't don't have dues. Like you would pay dues for some club that you're in. You know, one time Jesus had a rich young ruler to come and and, um, ask him a question about eternal life. Jesus told him, he said, go sell all you have. Give it to the poor and take up your cross and follow me. And Jesus' Jesus' disciples were perplexed about this. Lord, who then can be saved? Jesus said, well, with God all things are possible. But he was really teaching them that being part of the Lord's church is not about about paying money. Only the Lord can add us to the church. Men do not vote us in or vote us out. You think about the several different conversions we, we read about in the book of Acts, like the conversion of the eunuch. Nobody voted on the eunuch. Saul of Tarsus was baptized into Christ. Nobody voted on that. Cornelius and his household were baptized into Christ, Acts 10. Nobody voted on that. Lydia and her household were baptized into Christ. Nobody voted them. When they were baptized, they were added to the church. Only the Lord can add to the church. The second category of our discussion this morning will be the church itself. The church. A couple questions about the church. How do we know here in Acts 2 that the church is being discussed? How do we know? Well, first we know because of prophecy. Isaiah 2 verse 3. Isaiah 2 verse 3. The invitation there is, Come, let us, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. Let us go to the house of the God of Jacob. For He will... Uh, teach us of His ways, and we will walk in His paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law 
and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. You see, this house, which is the church, 1 Timothy 3.15, refers to the church as the house of God, the household of God. This house of the God of Jacob would be set up one day, and it would uh, be set up in Jerusalem. And the process of that is that the word of God would be preached in Jerusalem, like we find on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, and people would listen to that word, obey that word, and then be added to the house of God, which is the church of God. And so we know because of prophecy. We also know because of the promise of Jesus that the church is being discussed here in Acts 2 because of the promise of Jesus. You've heard us say time and again from Matthew 16, Jesus' discussion with Peter about building the church. And he told Peter concerning the building of this church that I'll give unto you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And so we find that Peter is the one preaching, opening up through the preaching of the gospel, opening up the doors of the kingdom of God. But notice also with me Luke chapter 24, 47. You'll want to notice this one as well. Luke 24, 47, where Jesus himself says, he says that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in my name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. Notice that from Luke 24, 47. And there in Acts 2, they're in Jerusalem. And Peter is preaching repentance and remission of sins, Acts 2, 37 and 38. He's preaching those very themes right here in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. And so we know that the church is being discussed here because of prophecy and promises of Jesus. But what about this question about the church? Which church is being discussed here? Which church is being discussed? Well, the answer, of course, is is very simple. The church that Jesus built is the one being discussed here. The church that Jesus died for, Ephesians 5, 25, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for it. The church that Jesus bought with his blood, that's the one being discussed here uh, in Acts chapter 2. Acts 20 verse 28 says that Jesus did purchase the church with his own blood. Okay. The church that Paul was a member of, the church that Barnabas was a member of, the church that John was a member of, the church that Peter was a member of, this is the church that's being discussed here in Acts chapter 2. The church of those who obeyed the gospel on the day of Pentecost is being discussed here. The church that the unit was part of, the church that, that Lydia was part of, this is the church being discussed here. You see... The New Testament church, the church of the Lord, the Lord's church, predates all other churches. It predates all Catholic, all Protestant, all Evangelical, all Pentecostal. Every church of every kind, of every type, of every stripe, the Lord's church predates those churches. Now, a lot of folks look at church as simply a religious group that gets some good advice from the Bible. But, oh, it's so much more than that. Okay. The New Testament is not just a, an advice column for us. It is our pattern. It's our pattern. 
2 Timothy 1.13 says, follow the pattern of sound words. It is, the, it is our pattern. Okay? We're not simply gaining insight from the New Testament. We're seeking to be like they were in the New Testament. We're simply we're, we're seeking to follow and be that pattern. Be part of that pattern that they're following. Big difference in that approach uh, to Scripture. Well, someone might ask uh, a couple more questions. They may ask, well, don't all these churches make up the one church? Well, no. That's not how it is. You see, notice Jesus' prayer in John 17, 20 and 21. He prays about all this. He prays about the church. He had been praying for his apostles, and then he makes a transition to pray for the church, the future church. He says, neither do I pray for these alone, but also for all them that believe on me through the words of the apostles, that they all may be one, as thou, Father, are in me and I am in you, that they may be one in us. You see, the Heavenly Father and Jesus the Son did not have different ideals about what teachings mankind, sinful man, should adhere to. They didn't have different ideas. They were together. See, Jesus is not praying for union. Jesus is praying for unity. Unity. See. One time Jesus makes the remark, Mark 3, uh, 25 and 26, that a kingdom or house divided against itself cannot stand. Okay. You see, the Heavenly Father and Jesus did not agree to disagree on certain teachings here and there. No, they were together and completely one on what was going to be best for mankind and what was best for mankind to learn and understand and submit to in order to bring them to salvation. They were completely one in that. And Jesus is saying that all the believers, he prayed that all the believers may be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. So no, all the different churches does not make up the one church. Remember, the one church predates all churches that have sprung up according to the doctrines of men. Well, someone might ask, well, isn't this a difficult? Isn't this, isn't this impossible? Isn't this impossible? And again, no, because who's doing the praying here? Jesus is praying. Jesus wouldn't pray something that could not be done. Because he is the Son of God. Think about prayer in itself. We are taught in James 1, 5 through 7, that when we pray, we are to pray without doubting. We're to pray with faith. Nothing doubting, James 1, 5 through 7. Nothing doubting. Jesus is not someone who's going to pray with some doubt. When he prayed that all believers may be one, in the Father and in him, he prayed with complete confidence that this indeed could take place. Well, someone may say, well, this sounds kind of harsh and, and intolerant toward people. Well, really, it's the very opposite. What God is doing, God is reaching out to everybody on the face of the earth on the very same basis. He has gone to a great deal of great effort and love to bring to us the words of the apostles that we now have written in the New Testament 
so that he can call everybody to himself on the very same standard, on the very same basis. It's the most loving thing that a loving God could possibly do for mankind. So first, the Lord. Secondly, the church. And now our third category, salvation. Salvation. The Lord adds to the church only those who are saved. Going back to Acts 2. What do we mean by saved? Well, very simple. Very simple. Those who are convicted of sin and choose to humbly obey the gospel and at the same time commit their lives to Christ end up receiving forgiveness of their sins. That's exactly what you're reading there in Acts 2.37. As the people respond to Peter, it says that they, when they heard these words, they were pricked in the heart, they were cut to the heart. That is, they were convicted of sin. And from that conviction, they ask, what shall we do? A very humble question. And Peter said, Repent ye and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then it says in verse 41 that those who gladly received this word were baptized. Now, everywhere you read about salvation in the New Testament completely is consistent with what we just read from Acts 2. This example. In Acts 18, verse 8, Paul is working in the city of Corinth and a man by the name of Crispus who was the ruler of the synagogue, he believed. And then it says, and many of the other Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. Now later, Paul writes a letter to the Corinthians. And notice how he says it in 1 Corinthians 12 and 13. He says, here's what happened to you. For by one spirit were you all baptized into one body. Of course, we know that body is the church. You see. God adds the saved to the church. Now, what's happening here is that God is doing the saving while it is very essential for man to do the responding. Both are essential. Notice in your Bibles, Acts chapter 2 and verse 40, it says, notice what Peter's doing here. It says, and with many other words, Peter testified and exhorted, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Now, notice he says, save yourself. This is man responding to God's loving offer of salvation. Another way of putting that would be, let yourselves be saved. Based on what you've just heard, let yourselves be saved. And notice how important it is to Peter here. It says, the the idea here is he continued to exhort. He continued to testify. The original language here is a continuous action. He just didn't say, hey, you need to save yourselves from this crooked generation. He continued to say it. He found other ways of saying it. Notice also, with many other words. Don't ever get in mind that there was a bunch of sermonettes being preached in the book of Acts. Okay? Don't get, don't get that in your mind. Now we read Peter's sermon 
from way back in Acts 2, 14, all the way down to verse 36. But don't get in mind that that's the length of the sermon. And all preachers rejoice in that. Okay. Peter says, it says, with many other words, this is scriptural authority for a long sermon. Okay. Notice it's in your Bible. Okay. With many other words, did Peter exhort and testify, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation? Why would he continue to speak at length about this? Because of how important this is. This is not just a discussion around the dinner table. This is salvation. This is the Lord's church. This is the Lord's doing. So this is the Lord adding the save to the church. And it is Him doing the saving, but it is man responding to His love. This is us being saved. Notice this. This is us being saved from the destiny of a crooked generation. Not just being saved from a crooked generation. He's talking about the destiny of these folks who are part of the perverse living in this world, these folks who are walking in crooked ways and not down the path of the Lord Himself, where are they headed? You don't want to go there. Save yourselves from the destiny of this crooked generation is what He's saying. Notice with me in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 16, If any man suffer... As a Christian, let him not be ashamed. If any man suffer as a Christian, let let him not be ashamed. But let him glorify God in this name. But then Peter continues, 1 Peter 4, 17. He says, the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall be the end of those who obey not the gospel? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinners appear. If judgment is going to be harsh toward us who've already obeyed, then what about those who have not obeyed? If judgment is going to be rather harsh and strict toward toward us who are seeking to walk the narrow way, what about those who are just living in a perverse way? You don't want to go there. So, together this morning, we've been able to see the importance of the Lord. The importance of the church. And hopefully the importance of salvation. Oh yes, the Lord has unfinished work. The Lord never stops working. He's our mediator. He's our intercessor. He's our advocate. He strengthens us with His presence every day. He promises to be with us in death, He provides for our needs, but also through us, He continues to add to the church as we share His Word with others. You see, in Acts 2.47 it says, the Lord added daily those who are being saved. Daily. But if you look at Acts 2.46, you'll see that they were gathering daily. They were teaching daily. They were fellowshipping together. If we make daily efforts towards someone who is lost, then the Lord today will continue to add to His body 
the church? Can we assist anyone this day about salvation? Of course there's nothing more important. We know that Jesus said, What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? We are right on target as far as the most important topic that there is to ever discuss. We cannot afford, we cannot afford to miss salvation. That's why Peter said in 2 Peter 1 verse 10, he said, make your calling and election sure. Make it sure. There's no point and there's no profit in walking around with doubt. And it certainly there's no point or profit to face the Lord in judgment with doubt. Let's make it sure. If we can help you do that, let us do so right now as we stand together, as we sing, Brother Aaron.